Um, and anyway, we are we're going to continue with this. I'll pray, and then we're going to tackle this topic today of Is God Good? And continue our series here. God, we do thank you for this morning. We just pray you'd, you'd come and you'd bless this time. Uh, you'd, you'd speak through me today. And even as we tackle this topic, if you're good or not, God, as we try to, as we try to grapple with what we see around us, if we try to grapple with hard things we see in the world, and figure out if you're a good God and you're someone we can trust, we just pray you'd speak to us today from your word and, and make that clear and really redeem this little time we have together. Amen. All right. Well, in 1964, the Reno Air Races began. It was started as a combination of races of airplanes on this little closed circuit course. Their motto is fly low, go fast, and turn left. They are currently held at the Reno Steed Field, about eight miles north of Reno. It's a little reserved airport with an airspace that allows them to do the show. It's five days of real airplane racing, up close and personal. They let the fans get really close to the action. And like their motto says, the planes are low. The race draws thousands of people every year. Local schools often send field trips to go check it out. And local sports bookies actually take bets on the races at the air show. I mean, it is Nevada, so you can see that. Race aircraft in the Unlimited class, it's like the highest one, reach speeds of over 500 miles an hour. By far the fastest moving machines in any kind of motorsports. The event also features the world class Thunderbirds from the Air Force, some of their best, some of the best planes come out and, and do a little showing. They also have what they call aerobatic performers, which means, you know, all kinds of like tumbling and, and over cool spectacles. Um, this year's races started on Wednesday out there, and it was also set to include something I learned about called a jet truck. What this is is a seven ton truck with a jet attached to it. Sounds like a good idea. It hits the scales at 36,000 horsepower. In comparison, my truck has 250. When it's at its top speed, it reaches three Gs, the same as a shuttle launching into space. It's fun. Again, a good idea. Anyway, on Friday, as this was going on, you might have heard about this in the news, but tragedy struck as one of the racers was uh, demonstrating a World War II plane called a P-51 Mustang. And the plane, around 1630, just shot up in the air unexpectedly and then came back down, spiraling out of control. Initially, the plane was headed right towards the grandstands, which had thousands of people watching it. Um, As it went down, the pilot was doing what he could to try to pull the plane up or just get it out of the way of them. And he did what he could to avoid that main stand of thousands of people. But the plane crashed right into the VIP area, which is this little stand out in front. The pilot was pretty immediately killed on impact along with eight other people. Um, the emergency rooms in Reno were just packed with people that had been hurt in the wreckage. It's just the plane shattered and 
pieces were flying everywhere. Um, the hospitals had to scramble and try to get blood flown in from other from other areas to try to help out the patients there and uh, save people's lives. You know, investigations will continue to, to research this event um, in the coming months to figure out what could have happened, whether it was somehow the airplane malfunction or did something happen with the pilot and his health that he spent out of control. He was 75 years old, so that was certainly a possibility, but they'll look into that. You know, another thing I thought about on this topic that, you know, it's just a hard one to get my head around how it happened in world history, an event you all know. But by 1933, Adolf Hitler took full control of the Nazi party as its dictator. Three months later, he had squashed all other political parties in Germany. He started spreading propaganda over the next five or six years, getting the people riled up and against any other people groups and countries, uh, just spreading lies about um, just their need to, to take them out. By the late 1930s, he started to invade the countries around him. Um, he took over Poland and Czechoslovakia by force and started going after the USSR. By the early 40s, um, he set up concentration camps. They'd been, um, and they started systematically killing the Jews. Before that, they'd been outcast of society and called subhumans. And now he started to just kill them in masses. They were starved, gassed, shot. Some were deliberately infected with gangrene and other horrible diseases for research purposes. At times, they would infect. They like they like getting twins and infecting one until they died of the disease and then killing other at the same time to see how uh, the autopsies would differ with someone with a disease that were so similar. Around 6 million Jews died under Hitler's reign. In, 1950, or in 1945, Hitler killed himself as his enemies surrounded him, and the concentration camps were shut down later that summer as, as the troops were able to get through the country. And today we're tackling another hard question in the Is God series. Is God good? Over the last couple of weeks we covered the questions of is God there? Is there a God? And is that God the God of the Bible? And this question gets hard because we see bad things all around us. You don't have to look far for evil and wickedness and brokenness and cruelty. Why did God allow that plane to spiral out of control and crash into the crowds this weekend? Why would God let Hitler live years into the war and see all those casualties of so many of the people, even when so many of those people were from a country he called his own people in Israel? If God is all good and all powerful, then why can there be so much evil in the world? Why is there brokenness? Why is there murder? Take a look at the first slide there. Um, this question has been raised in philosophy classes like this, maybe in ones you've taken. Since, since there is all this evil in our world, one of two things must be true. Either God is all good and not all powerful. That's one option. Or God is all powerful but not all good. Because if God was all good and all powerful, then evil wouldn't happen. 
You know, if God is all-powerful, then He has the ability to orchestrate all things at all times. He, has, um, he can choose to do good or evil, and He can do anything. But at times, He'd have to choose not to do good for there to be evil. On the other side of the coin, God is perfectly good. He's pure in heart. He loves to bless people. He never does wicked things. He just can't pull it off. He doesn't have the power. He can't overcome evil. Or maybe he can't be in all places at all times to orchestrate every little event. Maybe that little air show in Nevada is just too small of a thing. He was busy in other places. You know, so what gives? Which of these is true that we have evil in the world? Well, let's start at the top. What does the Bible say about God's goodness? Let's look at the next slide there. We're going to look at a few verses. We talked about last week that the Bible is, is God's word to us, that He communicated truth, and there's a lot of things that point it that it's a book um, that's unlike any other book. And let's, let's see what God says about Himself in there. Psalm 25.8 says that good and upright is the Lord. Psalm 11.7 says that the Lord is righteous and He loves righteousness. So that means God is just right. That's what righteousness means. He loves it when the right things happen, when all things are made right. In Isaiah 30.18 it says, Therefore the, the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore He waits on high to have compassion on you. For the Lord is a God of justice. How blessed are those who long for Him. So God is longing to be gracious to you, and He just waits to show you compassion. Psalm 107.1 says, O give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His loving kindness is everlasting. It says to give, give thanks, for He is good. He's good all the time. He's perfectly good. It's everlasting. So if God's all good then, he, the Bible says that about Him, He passes on to us that He's good, well then let's look at, let's look at he, what He created. Um, Genesis 1 gives us an account of how God created the world. Why don't you turn there? If you're counting in your... Uh, Church Bible, it's page one, I'm guessing. I didn't officially look that up. Maybe the index at the start could have thrown me off. But In the last few weeks, we covered that the creation and the world around us pointed to an all-powerful and good and personal creator. The intricacy, the beauty, and the power in the world, the immensity of the galaxies, they all point at this. But there's a problem then. If God is as good as He tells us in the Bible, how could He have created a creation that's so wicked and so broken, like we saw about in just a few of those examples? Let's read from uh, Genesis here. We'll start in verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surfaces of the deep. 
and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So, God was eternal, and there was nothing. And then He starts creating things. He creates the heavens and the earth. So back to verse 2. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good, and He separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness night. And there was evening and there was morning, the first day. And God said, Let there be an expanse between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the expanse and separated the water under the expanse from the water above it. And it was so. And God called the expanse sky. And there was evening and there was morning, the second day. And God said, Let the water under the sky be gathered at one place, and let dry ground appear. And it was so. And God called the dry ground land, and He gathered the waters He called seas. And God saw that it was good. So God created the land and the seas, and He called what He had made good. So far so good, the land and the seas, right? Let's read on. Verse, uh, Verse 14 here. And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night, and let them serve as signs to mark the seasons and days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the sky to give lights on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. He set them out in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night, and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning, the, first, the fourth day. And God said, Let the water teem with living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth and across the expanse of skies. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living and moving thing in which the waters teems, according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the waters and the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, Let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, livestock, creatures that move along the ground, and wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that moved along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Okay, so at this point, God created the sea, and the stars, and the plants, and the animals, and it was good. So God's creation was good. Well, we're still missing man, right? This must be where it turns not good, right? Well, let's read ahead. Verse 26, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves along the ground. 
And God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth, and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And all the beasts of the earth, and all the birds of the air, and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day God had finished the work he had been doing, so on the seventh day he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. So is man where it went wrong? No. God didn't say that everything went wrong there. He said that he had made man, and all he had made was finished. He said that it was very good. It got better. He said that he created man in the very image of God. It was very good with man in it. Man was the crowning achievement of his creation. He gave man dominion over the entire creation, over the animals. In Genesis 2.20, it says that God lined up the animals, and man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air, and the beasts of the field. And he gave man dominion over the plants, too. Uh, It says that in Genesis 2, it talks about that God made the plants start growing up, uh, and then he set man in the garden to tend to them, to work the ground, and to enjoy the fruit of his work. And it was a beautiful thing. And God created us to have relationship with Him. And there are multiple times in Genesis 2 and 3 where God audibly speaks to Adam back and forth and they have relationship. And there was an actual relationship between them. So what happened then? How do we get so much evil in the world if God created it so good? Like it says, there must be a breakdown somewhere, right? We'll jump ahead to Genesis 2.15. We start to get a glimpse of what happened. It says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for what you eat of it, for when you eat of it you will surely die. He had given them so many good things. The animals, the garden to tend. He even gave Adam a a helper in the form of his wife, Eve. He just set one little thing off limits, that tree. And it was something very tangible to Adam that he could understand. And he gave him the choice to obey God and avoid the tree or to make his own rules and to do, uh, do what he wanted. Turn ahead to Genesis 3. Find out what Adam chose. Verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat eat of it, your eyes will open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. 
When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. And she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. You see, Adam and Eve chose to disobey God and ultimately break that relationship with God that they'd known their whole lives. It said that they formed their own opinion in the tree by looking at it and chose to believe the serpent in their own wisdom over God. What was the result of this? Let's read on in verse 6. It says, To the woman he said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree of which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since you were taken from it, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. The Lord made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat it and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work on the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. So the results of man's choice to turn from God and to do his own thing were huge. There would be pain in childbirth. Man would toil on the earth his whole life. Death occurred for the first time when the animal was killed to make a hide for Adam. And God numbered man's days. And most importantly, God withdrew from the man to leave him with his choice of turning from him. That Adam would have the creation that he chose instead of the creator and that relationship with him. And that is when evil entered the world. Furthermore, there was that break in the relationship with God. Isaiah, in chapter 59, verse 2, says that your iniquities have separated you from your God, so that he will not hear you. So now we can ask, well, yeah, 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 but didn't God give us that choice to choose him or sin and know that we would turn away in the first place? So didn't he just create this evil before that choice was even there? Well, that's a good question. But we have to consider, is taking away the choice really a loving thing? Consider this story last year from from Uganda. It ran in their paper there. It says, Too much love will kill you, it is said, but it could also cost you your freedom. That appears to be the case in Entebbe, where police are holding a 38-year-old man for allegedly locking up his wife and three children in their house for 10 years. The man, whose name was withheld for legal reasons, said he had kept his wife under lock and key 
so that she could not cheat on him. We got a tip off and arrested the suspect because he was unwisely confining his family in the house, Miss Dina Knight, the head of the Family Protection Unit at Entebbe Police, told the Daily Monitor yesterday. The house did not have indoor plumbing, and the wife and children eased themselves in basins, which the suspect emptied daily. He would sometimes take the wife to visit her relatives with the children and bring them back into confinement, she said. He, on several occasions, would bring in a hairdresser to tidy the woman's hair and lock up the house after she left. The wife had a telephone to call her husband in case of an emergency, the police said. According to some of the suspect's relatives, they had reportedly warned him against confiding his family and keeping his children out of school. Many friends and neighbors didn't even know that he had a family because he kept them hidden so well. After his arrest, the suspect said he kept his wife locked away to keep her from cheating and possibly becoming infected with HIV. I had thought, this is the way we make our love because she's my wife and not any other person's business, he said. The man faces charges of unlawful confinement and violating his wife's and children's rights. You see, that man loved his family. He wanted to protect them from HIV, protect them from the evil in the world, keep his wife from finding other lovers by locking them up in the house. But that is misguided love. It was not love, it was abuse. The police rightly arrested him and took him away from his family. The loving thing to do would be for him to release them into the world to make their choices, but to love them in a way that they would not want to turn from him, and to educate them not to make bad choices in the areas of sex and drugs that would lead them to getting HIV. So it is with God. If he had made us robots that had... Um, and we couldn't choose the right thing or choose the wrong thing, would that have been good? We would have been programmed. There can be no relationship there if we had no choice in how to respond to one another. God desperately wanted a real relationship with us. He continually makes the choice to love us, to be gracious to us, to bless us, and we have a choice in how we respond back to Him. Let's look back at the first slide again, that question we looked at at the start from philosophy class. So was there evil in the world because God was not all good or because God was not all powerful? Well, here's the problem with this question. Both of these options assume that God is at fault for all the evil in the world. But it wasn't God, it was man that chose to turn from God. And evil is the consequence of his sin. The guilty party is man, not God. God is all good and all powerful. He created everything. He just chose to set us in a relationship with him. And like any good relationship, there's always a choice in how to respond to one another so that it's not abuse like that story I shared. Romans 1 speaks further about the consequences of that choice of sin. In verse 21 it says, For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God, nor gave thanks to Him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. 
Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in their sinful desires of their heart to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. They worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator, who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to their shameful lusts. It then lists a bunch of specific sins that God gave them over to that they chose. And then it goes on in verse 28. It says, Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, He gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. They became filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossip, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, and ruthless. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but approve others who practice them. You see, when we chose sin instead of that relationship with God, He handed us over to that sin. We were bound to the consequences forever. It played out that every kind of wicked thing entered our mind. Every evil desire came from our flesh. Every kind of wicked act became a possibility for us as a race. How did the Holocaust happen? Because the world was handed over to their sin. How did things go wrong at the Reno show? How did Columbine shooting happen? God handed the world over to his sin and he's reaping the consequences. But there's a more personal struggle that can come about on this topic of is God good? If you're like me, usually it's not those worldwide events that cause me to doubt God's goodness. It's something personal. Something that I am wrestling with God about. Now, in my life, I think back on what I've been told in some of these areas, but when I was five weeks old, I contracted um, a severe case of encephalitis. It's a rare condition where a person's brain just starts to swell. And in my case, it was contracted through a virus. The doctors thought I got a mosquito bite as, as a baby, and it was passed on to me. They told my mother and father that for sure I would die and I had only days to live. And as my brain continued to swell, I would, I would certainly die. It was just a matter of time. Miraculously, I lived through it a month and returned to health. You know, a girl contracted that disease. I was, I was living in Boulder. A girl contracted it in Longmont about the same time and passed away from the same thing. At that point, the doctor said, um, that the best case scenario of living through it was I would have severe, severe mental handicaps. Again, miraculously, God was good and that <laughs> I was spared from having some of those severe handicaps. But as I grew up, I attributed a case of ADHD and some other minor mental issues to coming from that. It made school very difficult for me. I was in special education until the end of high school. Um, I eventually used medication, some of those 
to help you with ADHD and some other things to get to finish college. But I had a very hard time in college. I had to take medication to help sit through class and to do schoolwork. And for my degree, I, I had gotten down to the bare bones minimum. I needed to take two math classes to graduate from college. I passed the first one on the first try with like a 73% and I needed a C. At the second one, it took me four tries to pass. I'm not good at, that, good at math. I dropped out a semester because my grades were so low. And in the midst of having such a hard time in college, I wrestled with God on this. How could he be so good if he allowed this to happen to me? Why couldn't I just have a normal brain that could sit through class and do homework and it'd be easy like other people? And I wrestled with God on it for a while. And he started to speak to me that that was the exact way that he wanted to make me. I read in Romans 8.28 that um, it says, We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. That he wanted to use a broken situation to come about because of the fall to do good in my life. And that gave me the best chance to repent and to come to him and and for him to get the most glory out of my life. But I won't lie, that was a hard time for me to go through that. I could read all the verses I wanted about God's goodness, but I had to trust that He had good in a very specific hard circumstance. And He would make right all the things that were wrong in my life, all the things that were hard, all the things that I didn't understand. How about you? I'm sure not just I have personal things that come to mind on this topic. I bet you could fill in this blank. If God is good, then why has this happened in my life? I'm sure something comes to your mind. I don't know all of you. Maybe your parents were divorced. Maybe you were divorced. Maybe you lost a parent. Maybe you lost a child or miscarried. Maybe you didn't get the job you wanted. Those are all things that could stick in your mind when I talk about God's goodness. As horrific as some of those world events are, these things are really what we chew on and make us question God's goodness. So there remains another problem. If we accept that God is all good and all powerful and that our sins got us in this mess, when will this mess ever get cleaned up? When will these things be made right? When will everything be restored? He can't just let this hard situation play out forever. He can't let the sin play out forever. Let's look at Revelation 21. It's on page 1230 in your house Bible if you want to turn there. We're doing the first book and the last book today, so it should make it easy. Genesis and Revelation. This book is mostly prophecy about the end of the world. And this is a specific one that relates. Revelation 21, verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will will live with them. 
They will be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated in the throne said, I am making everything new. Then He said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all this, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Let's bring up the last slide there. So God will restore everything. It says He will make all things new in Revelation here. The earth will pass away. The curse from sin will pass away. Every sin will be punished. Either in hell, as it talks about at the end of Revelation 21 there, or through Jesus Christ paying for them on the cross. Everything will be made right. Every tear from hard things wiped away from our eyes. All the hard things we didn't understand in life will be made right. We will see God in all of His glory face to face. That relationship will be restored. All infirmities will be done away with. So our sin brought evil into the world. And God will remove it all. He will end the curse. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, it says, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. God is so good. Like Paul says, we can fix our eyes on what is unseen. Our hope of God making everything right and His infinite goodness is that hope. Let me just leave you with a verse that I shared at the start of our time. Isaiah 30, verse 18. says, Therefore the Lord longs to be gracious to you, and therefore He waits on high to have compassion on you. For the Lord is a God of justice. How blessed are all those who long for Him. So God is not just good. He's perfectly good. He is gracious and He blesses. And He will make everything right one day. Well, please come back next week. Tim's going to finish off the Is God series. We're going to look at the last question in this um, about Is Jesus God? and how He relates to this whole situation. So let's pray. God, we thank You for today. We just thank You for this chance to look at it. I pray we catch, catch Your heart. God, we thank You, like in Isaiah, that You long to be gracious to us. God, You wait on high to have compassion. You're a God of justice. You want to bless. But our sin gets in the way and it causes a separation. 
We just pray you'd help us understand your goodness better today. That you are a God that's perfectly good. God, help us turn from things in our life that are choosing the creation and are making ourselves God over you and turn towards you. Um, God, we pray that we'd each honor you with our lives um, in the way that we respond to you in that relationship. Um, and you give us each a real relationship with you. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, thanks for coming.